0: Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for big friendships everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that was
1: really good. Thank you. Um who am I? I'm Aminatu So. <laughs> and I'm Anne Friedman. I was like, honestly, we talk, we wrote so much in our book about like the word bestie not being a good fit. And I know that this is just like the warm, cozy opening lines that we always use. And so we haven't changed them. But I was like, you know what? Like as I sit here and say the word bestie every week, I'm like, we just need to like use our own vocabulary sometimes. You know what I mean? Oh, I thought you were going to go the opposite way and say that you were
0: reclaiming Bestie from the big friendship crowd. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was like, I'm here for that. <laughs> From those haters who wrote Big Friendship. We're here yeah, to defend I was Bestie. Like, <laughs> yeah, those big bossy haters who love vocabulary so
0: much. They had to make new vocabulary. I'm like, what's wrong with Bestie? I'm Listen, we are presumptuous
1: this, with our new vocabulary words, aren't we? All the time. We, we
0: really are. But also I'm saying this because I've been, my For You page on TikTok is inundated by this like Bestie meme, you know, where you just yell out to your Bestie, but like, hey Bestie. And I'm like, what? Like, I wanna participate
1: in this. You do it every, you literally participate in this meme every single week we record the podcast.
0: I don't know how to tell you this, Anne. I'm reclaiming I'm reclaiming bestie from from Okay. From hey the, Bestie. Hi Bestie. <laughs> Anne, we are in a big friendship, not a best
1: friendship. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I feel spiraling out of control with this conversation.
0: <laughs> I mean, here's what's happening. The longer I go without seeing you, the more this podcast is going to spiral out of control, which is the thing I think that um, is actually the glue that has kept us together all of these years is even though we live far apart, we see each other fairly regularly. Right. And I have not seen you, um, you know, for like over a year now this week.
1: It's true. We are We are kind of like spinning further from like the in person touchstone of our friendship and things keep getting weirder and like more abstract. It's like it's like making copies on copies on copies or something where you're like, is this is this the same? Like I think it is. I think I can see what we what the original look like here, but it's like weird and different. That's how I feel too. Uh, what are we talking about today? Oh, wow. So we have we have two things on the agenda today. Um, we are going to revisit our Shine Theory 101 episode, um, which originally aired in April of 2019. Even though we had been talking about Shine Theory for quite some time on the podcast before 2019, we did this episode as sort of like a let this live as a document, like a one-stop shop for how we are thinking about the concept of Shine Theory um, and the power of collaboration Anyway, so we wanted to revisit that. It is timeless. It is important. But before we get into that, um, we also want to talk about some new language and different metaphors to describe basically the same concept. Um, And to that end, we're talking to CNN journalist Brooke Baldwin, who has a new book out called Huddle, How Women Unlock Their Collective Power. And it's about what happens when women get together in all kinds of areas of life and in many different industries to provide each other support, inspiration, um, and to like solve problems and make change together. And so we felt like it was a great fit with Shine Theory. And we've got a a nice little two-parter, a little bit of a huddle with Brooke Baldwin, and then um, a return to our Shine Theory 101. Ah, I'm so excited to hear this.
2: And hello, I'm such a fan of this podcast. This is awesome.
1: It's a joy to have you here. Um, and I, I really have to start very, very 101 and ask you, what is a huddle in the sense? <laughs> in the important sense, not like in the football sense?
2: Sure. Yeah, no, no, I'm so glad you said that because you know I, I was trying to think of what do I want to call this book? How do I think of a word uh, that, that embodies what I'm so passionate about? And so first of all, you said exactly right. Like you think of a huddle. it's it's like a masculine male sport kind of word, right? And I decided, let's use that word let's, as women, flip it on its head and feminize it. And it's a noun, it's a verb, and it is really a a movement I want to start. So, So basically a huddle is a place where, women can become energized by the mere fact of their coexistence. It can be two women, it can be 2000 women. It's where women can uplift each other to succeed, to thrive, and, and if I may, get amazing shit done, right? So it can be productive, it can bring about change, but it also can be a space where women merely bear witness to one another. It can be a close group of girlfriends. it can be your posse at work, those three women you know who have your back. It can be uh, the women you work out with, the women you you protest with, the women you pray with. it could be the moms that you're always checking in with. But I think there's a real intentionality on on how you connect with women, which I, I actually think it reminds me it's almost like shine theory adjacent. It's much like the intentionality of, of what you what you gals have created.
1: Yeah, and I, I maybe I'm gonna just um, work out all my feelings about getting asked about Shine Theory and reverse these questions on you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, bring it on, Ian. Yeah. Bring it on. But I mean, I mean, so so, how is what you describe different than um, just friendship or just collegiality? Yep, yep, I
2: think part of it is friendship and I have my own huddle of friends, which by the way, I I didn't actually tap into until my later years in life, which is a whole other story. I didn't get all my my good girlfriends together till I was 38, shame on me. But it's actually been part of the journey of writing this book has, has really made me um, more intentional about creating a huddle, tapping into women that were sort of under my nose and then really connecting with them and leaning on them in a really vulnerable way that I hadn't allowed myself to do most of my life. Beyond that, it's it can be at work. Um, I've interviewed Stacey Abrams a couple times for my book, and you know Stacey's extraordinary for a gazillion reasons. Not to mention, you know she she flipped Georgia blue uh, for the first time since 1992. But she told me this amazing story of when she was 29, and she was the deputy city attorney in Atlanta, and she told me about how she you know in, in her job relied on this group of women. Secretaries is what they called them back in the day. You know who who knew a lot about law and legislative history that she she really needed for her own job, and so she wanted to give them raises, um, but their job titles prevented them from, from having that. And so they couldn't afford law school. They were, they were stuck. And so she sponsored them and she, she fought for them. She created this program that would then get them free paralegal training. And so that was more money, more education and a bigger job title. So you could, that's an example of huddling with women. You know, you heard Megan Rapinoe, the, the, the famed Megan Rapinoe talk about throwing down your ladders. And so that is another version of huddling where one woman is successful and she wants to bring other women up who are coming from from behind her. A huddle can happen within sports. I talked to Megan, I talked to Sue Bird, her fiance, I talked to uh, the ladies in the the hockey team, how they really had to huddle to create new collective bargaining agreements, to fight for things like, you know, having a room to themselves if they are a mother with children. They, you know, talked to me about how they had fewer rights than even the NBA wives which is just, you know, it's just, uh, it's just extraordinary. So within the sports world, within the activism space, um, Mom's Demand Action is this amazing group started by Shannon Watts, and you know she was so moved and and just gutted by what happened after Sandy Hook, after all those precious children were were murdered, and so she she started you know on on Facebook. She had I think just seventy five followers, and ultimately got enough momentum to what is now the largest grassroots uh, organization of women in this country, which is really the largest huddle in this country, and what she's doing. Banding together with other women like Lucy McBath, Congresswoman from Georgia, to huddle to bring about what she would call gun sense legislation across the country. I mean, I, I could go on and I could go on and on. But but those are examples of huddles and not just within friendship.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one thing that that really struck me, The the phrase comes up, you know, throughout your book, and you just said it again, is lean on instead of, um, you know, I mean, maybe a more uh, 10 years ago catchphrase that we have learned to associate with yep, women. Yeah, yep. um, And I, I would love to hear you talk about that distinction a little bit leaning on rather than maybe leaning in. You know, I want to be clear that I'm not at
2: all throwing shade toward Sheryl Sandberg. And I read Lean In with the rest of, you know, everyone some years ago. But I think coming up in, um, for my own story, I came up in this male-dominated industry. Like, let's be real. Like, my bosses are men. My male colleagues make make the most money. You know, we're working on changing that. But, and I cover, I spend every day sitting at the anchor desk talking about mostly our nation's most powerful men. And um, coming up in this industry... I think I had to lean in so hard. Like I fell flat on my face and I realized in my young twenties, I was trying to lean in. I was trying to subscribe to the abundance mentality, but other women in the newsroom in my younger years, just like we're not having it. And eventually through my years, my, my two decades in journalism and in interviewing all these like extraordinary trailblazing women, I was like, what is the secret to their success? And that is when I realized they aren't leaning in so much as they are leaning on one another. They are linking arms. They are throwing down their ladders. They are subscribing to the abundance mentality. They are, forgive me, I'm going to drop an F-bomb, but like my favorite motto is fuck sharp elbows in the sense that, you know, let's not compete with one another. Let's not have sharp elbows. Let's link arms and let's build a bigger table and get, get amazing things done, which is what, Most of the women I talk to, all the women I talk to in my book are all about. And I think it's, it's, there's more power in leaning on one another, in linking arms with other women to bring about positive change.
1: Mm. And yeah, I mean, obviously could not agree more. We are, (laughs) we are very, very into that idea here. Um, I, you know, you mentioned earlier that you really did not maybe come to this quite so naturally or quite so early mm-hmm. in life. And um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that process of noticing, yeah. hey, the, the, the kind of way I wanna be in the world is this linked arms rather than sharp elbows.
2: That's a great question. I, I think growing up, growing up in the South, raised by lovely parents, little brother, you know, I tried to, you know, crush it in all the ways little girls do. I, you know, did all the dance classes, did gymnastics till I realized I was going to be like Amazon tall, you know, did, you know, sang, sang in my high school choir when really my voice could shatter glass. But like, I always loved being part of a group. And I think, I think somewhere along the line, I think maybe the delineation point for me was coming into broadcast news and leaving uh, the comforts of my girlfriends in college. And instead of moving to the big city and all living in a studio apartment and building walls and like having that sex in the city lifestyle, I instead moved to, you know, small town America and didn't have those girlfriends. And so I got out of practice. It's a practice. I got out of practice of leaning on groups of women. And certainly I I have had amazing, amazing girlfriends. I have a big friendship with my dear friend Aki in San Diego, but they were all singular. And honestly, Anne, it took me, I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit it. It took me all through my career to the point where nearly I was writing this book and I was getting married. I met my husband when I was 36 so glad I waited, You know, got married at 38 and just shy of my wedding. It was when I got, I don't know, 10, 10 women together for the first time in my life. And I was like, Brooke, what the fuck took you so long? And the process of learning through my own writing and interviewing these women for my book also made me very aware and more intentional of how I wanted that in my life. And so this book is for women who Maybe you already have a huddle and good for you. Um, maybe you have a lot of women in your life kind of under your nose, but you haven't activated your huddle yet. Maybe you feel lonely. I felt so lonely all through my 20s, especially where I was living in the middle of nowhere and didn't have good girlfriends to, to call. And so this has been an evolution for me personally. And at the end of this book, you know, I talk about what my huddle does for me and I am massively grateful to them
1: mm. yeah I mean you talked about feeling lonely and I think right now even those of us who are like deeply huddled up in in the big picture sense are really really feeling that I mean um, yes like I know I have um, all kinds of friends and different huddles of various sizes that I can rely on in the moment. But it's like that feels very far away, honestly, in my day to day. And I think that um, that is true, even outside the confines of a pandemic for many people, you know, people who are really busy with maybe caregiving responsibilities, or who are working just a lot, a lot of hours to make ends meet, you know, I mean, huddles and shine theory and um, community. These are all things that are really time consuming and that really benefit from, you know, concerted in-person exchanges. Yes. And so I'm, I'm wondering yes. how you're thinking about this in this era of like, you know, scarce resources and social distance. I mean, didn't you take for granted so many of
2: your connections and in-person interactions until we were basically all shut in a year ago?
1: It's true. I would have told you I was an extrovert, but I did not really understand <laughs> the depth of my need for those things. Yes. Yeah
2: for people, for human, for touch, for conversation. I mean, I leave it to military spouses who I talked to in the book too, who were like Jedi's on virtual communication, just because they, they move, uh, uh, you know, a dozen times in their worlds and knew what Marco Polo was before Marco Polo became cool. You know, I think, I think during the pandemic, we have been forced to get creative, right? So we've gone virtual, thank God for Wi-Fi. I think that because of that you know for example i work out almost every day i try i really do i try and i feel so disconnected from those women who my, my my workout huddle the women who i loved like sweating and grunting with almost every day here in new york city and so i now do it by myself on my yoga mat in a room alone but i still feel that connection it's hard but I still feel that connection. And I talk to women uh, about that, or even, you know, in the pandemic, these nurses, Emily Fawcett at Lenox Hill here in the city, you know, she talked to me about having her, having her friend huddle who she's not been able to see, obviously, because she's more exposed than, than you and I are, it, especially last spring, um, when it was really this epicenter of, of virus in New York and how in one day she had seen, one day she had seen five people pass away and she just went home and called up one of the, her dear girlfriends um, and just her girlfriend just gave her space and let her weep. And so I think that we're all having to adjust and learn and recalibrate, but when we get out of this, when we get out of this, Anne, my hope is that we will be huddling more than ever before.
1: Uh, I hope that's true, too. And I really just kind of want to leave us on that. I want to just stop on that sentiment of hope at this point. (laughs) Um, And I also want to uh, give you a chance to shout out someone or maybe like, you know, a few people in your core huddle. We love
2: love that here. I love you for that. I'm going to shout out my huddle, who I've found and have activated the last two years they know who they are a key allison and Catherine. they have we you should see our text chain we talk about everything from are we too old from wearing jean shorts to mental illness to what do we do when we think we have a girlfriend's you know father who may be voting for donald trump that was a big conversation we had around the election you know we talk about everything nothing is off limits and i just i love you girls Thank you so much.
1: I love that. Uh, Thanks so much, Brooke. It's been a pleasure.
2: And thank you.
1: You can get Huddle wherever you buy your books. We are partial to independent booksellers. Um, Very partial. That's sort of an understatement. Or your local library. And yeah, we also have all this stuff about Shine Theory um, at shinetheory.com if you want to see it written down in one place and um, have a resource to link to. And then there is the whole chapter of our book that is also about this concept. Our book didn't exist when we recorded this episode the first time. What? Definitely not. I am very excited to have this conversation. It is one that we've had in a meta way or in kind of like a side convo way, essentially since the founding of this podcast. We're going to talk about Shine Theory. Who is she? Who is she? Great question. The people want to know what is Shine Theory in more complex terms than just "I want everyone to be my friend." How do you define it?
0: It's the operating principle of like our friendship, you and me, mm-hmm. and it is also like a real uh, and I believe this is on our website, like a commitment to looking at the people in your life and thinking like, would we be better as collaborators than competitors? Because that is often the frame that a lot of female friendship is, like, boxed into, right? Like, it's cute that you like each other, but everything is zero-sum game in life. And I had found that that was not true in my life. I can't think of anyone that was a close friend that I was ever competing with or was competing with me. And also, I find it really insulting that that is the only way that we have to talk about, like, women as friends.
1: Right. And I think that often it's not talked about in the context of friendship. Like often, you know, this notion of there is one other, like often it's someone of your same demographic. Like if you're a woman, it's like another woman in the office Mm -hmm. that you've singled out and are feeling like if she gets this promotion or gets this attention or gets this recognition, then there is less for me. And I think we, at least in terms of how we publicly talk about shine theory, it was really born of a desire to negate that idea right to sort of say what is really going to help you even in a selfish way not just like help this other woman or help the cause of feminism tm or like help all women kumbaya whatever but really like the best thing to help yourself is to kind of say like let's look for an opportunity for allyship rather than presenting ourselves to each other as competition and like letting the men run around all
0: without being challenged off in the periphery. Right. Basically, like the notion is that anybody who is not a white man is always in competition with each other. It's 100% a scam of heteropatriarchy that tells you that, right? It's like, while you people are fighting, the rest of us are just like, like making stuff happen for ourselves. But the other reason that it also really annoys me is because the subtext, especially amongst women, is always that like women are not nice to each other. And if you have been, like, two minutes in a women's bathroom, you know that that is just not true. Mm. And somehow that line of, like, thinking just, like, persists. That women are just mean to each other. And I was like, is it true that some women are not nice to other women? Like, sure. Is it, like, a biological imperative that we feel? Like, that's nonsense. That is a kind of modeling that I wish had been around when I was younger. Because I definitely grew up in the mean girl years. That context, for me at least, is always important for remembering, like, why... Why do I do the things that I do? We're living in a not that like different political climates have been easier or whatever. I just think that especially this time that we are living in, it is so important to remember like what it actually means to be in solidarity with people and to be an ally with people. And Shine Theory really cuts to the heart of that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's sort of like the golden rule applied to friendship and relationships in in a in a really concerted way, not just in a like be be kind to strangers way. Exactly. It's been now several years since we've been talking about this publicly, and one of the early critiques of Shine Theory, looking at you, Hannah Rosen, who wrote a piece for Slate, essentially saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Is this advocating for only befriending people who you think are?" powerful or who can somehow help your career or improve your life because they've got it all together. No. Was was one fundamental misread. I think in part because we talk about it in the sense of like, if you feel a feeling like envy or competition, usually it's because you see yourself as an equal with someone or you see someone as like maybe like like slightly ahead of you whatever that means in some kind of career or life category and and so that's like when envy tends to crop up which is why we start talking about shine theory which is not to say that like the only way you should be making friends is if it's like someone who seems more powerful or you have something a possibility of gaining something from like think about our friendship right like we've been practicing this since day one when like let's be real neither of us were that powerful
0: Right. When every, like, we would go to happy hour and everybody would look over our heads to see who was more important than us, even though we are tall women. Yes, I remember those
1: days. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. And, I, and I to, feel be like clear, th- to be
0: clear, to be we clear, we're still in those rooms.
1: <laughs> so that's also fine. But also, like, that idea of, like, we both took each other very, very seriously, even at a time when perhaps our, like, professional resumes or whatever did not reflect the great things that we were both capable of. I think about that a lot, right? It's like, that is the essence of shine theory of like, we are going to see what's great and amplify that about each other and come up together. Not like I'm going to find someone who's already doing great and fix myself to them.
0: 100%. Like shine theory is looking at your own friends and being like, we are going to just like make things happen. We talk a lot about shine theory with people who are younger than us. I will say a lot of times, not to say that it doesn't apply But I think that like something that you need to realize when you are a younger person, it's okay that you haven't figured a lot of shit out, especially like career-wise. I'm like, you're brand new here. Time is the only thing that gets you closer to a lot of people that you admire. It's like when you look at like other people and you're like, oh, this person has something that I want or whatever, or how do I get that? I was like, "Mm, you need like 10 more years and then you'll get here. Like that's usually what it is. If you don't break things and you work hard enough, you will probably get to that level. But I also think that like, part of shine theory it's like being very realistic about your own resources and i think we've talked a lot about this on the podcast before this idea that like you everybody always wants a mentor at work and it's like there are too many people who need mentors and not enough mentors so like what do you do you look horizontally and you go who are my friends and what can we teach each other or who is my cohort and what can we teach each other it's just like very critical to knowing that you don't have to look very far to be inspired. You don't have to look very far to like make shit happen for yourself. It's what are you going to do with like where you are right now? These are the resources that you have access to. You know, if you're not part of like, you know, the dominant, successful white man demographic at work is that you also realize that like, there's two ways to get ahead. You can either like try to be a kiss ass and see how far that gets you, you know, or be the person that like always thinks that you're the exception to the rule and let's see how far that gets you Or you realize that actually if you start forming alliances across all sorts of people who are not the white man at work, generally you tend to like give each other more power because you have found a way to like build an alliance with people
1: it's very easy to think about it as only limited to the one context you just mentioned, like the workplace context. I really think about it as my whole life kind of thing. It's like the the ways in which we are over the long haul of our friendship supporting each other to really be our best. And sometimes that looks like what are you doing to look after your health or like, oh my God, you, you finally went to therapy. Good job for you. Um, you know, or, or like other times it is about supporting each other through making big life decisions and taking those as seriously and being in those conversations with the same mentality as we would when we're considering the same kinds of questions for ourselves. You know, like there's a reason why I think we talk about shine theory in the context of friendship and a reason why it's not like a totally neat fit with something like work wife or like something that has to do more with like work support and collaboration. Like it is, it is um, really easy to talk about it in the context of work and money, and that's how a lot of it plays out. But that is not exclusively where it is useful. Like we are bigger than capitalism. <laughs> wow um what a
0: what a boldness (laughs) you don't think our friendship is bigger than capitalism (laughs) listen (laughs) now that you're asking the question i'm gonna think about it um but you know i'm glad actually that you're bringing this up because i think that like one fundamental misreading of shine theory it means that like you have to be friends with every single woman that you meet who asks for your help like you're a martyr to the cause of
1: helping everybody
0: and you mean
1: like if i send you a cold email asking for your help with something and you don't respond that means you're not practicing shine theory are you talking about that fallacy i'm talking about that
0: fallacy Uh but you know or that you're supposed to just like open yourself up to be available to everyone i was like no this is another way that like white dudes get ahead is that they're not helping everyone so relax that tension for me is always really interesting right of like where do you draw that line and so that's why i'm happy that you're saying that it is a it's a 360 (laughs) view of your life as opposed to just like bucketed into work or bucketed into friendship or whatever. Like where are you basically like deploying this in your life? I would like to believe that I'm the kind of person that is a cheerleader to most people in my life who need cheerleading. Like that's true. But I also know that I'm only one person. There are only 24 Beyonce hours
1: in the day. There are 48 Beyonce hours in a day, but yes. <laughs>
0: 72 Beyonce hours in a day. <laughs> and
1: that You know, that you can't do everything. The reason why we wanted to talk about this this week in particular is twofold. One is that we recently revamped our Shine Theory website. ShineTheory.com. Indeed. And then also it has been in the news because all of these... Fantastic women in politics, most of whom are freshman congresswomen in this congress, have been bandying this term about a lot. So it is in the news even more than it has been in the past few years.
0: I am interested in talking about this because like you, I think that it's very cool. I can't believe I'm using the word cool. Who says that? It's very cool. Like also very heartening to see that a thing that we talk about all the time like, it actually has legs, <laughs> you know? I know that that's going to sound wild to so many people because they have adopted it. It's also just been, like, very heartening to see how investment over the long term into helping people be their best selves actually is, like, it actually works.
1: Yeah, and I think that... um Recently, Alon Omar, who is a representative, a Somali-American representative from Minnesota, who was has been representing her district in Congress since January, she uh, appeared in conversation with the director, Ava DuVernay, in Interview Magazine. And she talked a bit about being part of this cohort of women in Congress and also about how she runs her own office. And she said... We understand what being in solidarity looks like. We understand what shine theory really looks like. So we uplift one another. We understand that my sadness is the sadness of my sisters here in Congress, and their success is my success. We're not fighting for the limelight. We're not fighting for acknowledgement. What we're fighting for is our people. That's the note on which she ends this conversation. So... Which is awesome and powerful, but also it's just a couple of lines, which I think is how shine theory is often discussed, sort of like shorthand for being in solidarity. And you and I have like more robust thoughts and feelings about what it means to practice shine theory, why it's important, how it can be difficult, and um, why it's more than just like having an office BFF.
0: Right. And I mean, and I love that that quote, honestly, is by a congressperson and that it is in the context of actually doing politics. Part of Shine Theory is that it is strategic, you know? And so when Elon Omar talks about being part of a cohort in Congress, those ladies know what they're doing. You know, there are more women who have been elected in this Congress than at any other time. They know that the the more they band together and the more that they push up against you know, the idea that only one of them is supposed to hog the limelight or only one of them is the only one who can pass legislation this year or whatever, they know that they can be more effective that way because they are part of a cohort. You and I are part of a cohort as well. Like we are engaged in the same kind of process. People who cold email us, you already have a cohort. You just either need to decide to call yourselves that or you need to like join one that is accessible to you.
1: Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about is mutuality. The the whole thing about shine theory is I won't I don't want to say it looks exactly 50/50 equal at every moment in time because it doesn't. There's going to be some moments when one person is relying on the cohort or like another friend more than others and then hopefully hopefully though over time it does kind of balance out but like the point is all parties have made kind of like an emotional and time investment in each other and to me that's really the big difference between shine theory and networking right like actually practicing it and being in that mode of mutual investment requires everyone involved to kind of like be putting into the pot right like to be anteing up <laughs> that's something that gets lost in a lot of like, feel good, almost like marketing branding speak about Shine Theory. Like, it's one thing to just say, like, oh, we're going to all get together and it's going to be Shine Theory. And it's like, that's not actually true if it's a room full of strangers. I think there's potential for Shine Theory there, but that's very different than saying, like, how are we really going to long term invest in each other and help everyone get where they want to go?
0: Right. Making a mutual investment in people also means that there needs to be a base level of trust generally. What? And. <laughs> I know, mind blowing,
1: <laughs> and uh, you know it's so need, deep already. I love it. <laughs> I'm
0: telling you that you you need to trust each other, or you are working towards developing that trust. I think that that's also just very important. All of this to say that it's really hard to be accountable to strangers. You have to actually make room to get to know people. And I do think that a lot of times that's where the friendship component comes in, right? Basically, if you're practicing shine theory with enough strangers and you guys are mutually invested, of course you are going to become friends. But it's also true that if you are also friends, you have a baseline of trust and you have a baseline of accountability that you can build on as, you know, you try to dismantle um, white heteropatriarchy.
1: Ugh. Let's take a little break and then we can talk a little bit more about what uh, Shine Theory actually looks like, some of our favorite examples, and also some, like maybe pitfalls or threats to it or like what it isn't. Because I think in some ways that's the easiest way to understand something is to be like, that isn't it.
0: One of her favorite examples of Shine Theory is the marathon runner, Chalene Flanagan, who she won the New York City Marathon in 2017. She's like an iconic runner and is great. Basically, after her marathon win in 2017, New York City local paper, New York Times reported, (laughs) uh, a small paper you might have heard of, reported basically that part of her training strategy is that she trains and encourages pretty much like all the other women distance runners. And she built a group of training partners. And to be clear, because this is a sports example, these are actually women that are in competition with each other. You know? And it's really good to put in context with like your beef with the lady at the copy machine because (laughs) nobody's winning Olympic medals here.
1: Oh, my God. I love that. You think there's still copy
0: machines. (laughs) There's still copy machines. And I was in an office recently. Is that a metaphorical
1: (laughs) copy machine? (laughs)
0: There's still copy machines. And so but the thing that I loved about the reporting and this was the quote, it was like every single one of her training partners, 11 women in total, had made it to the Olympics while training with her. So she actually, like, found a group of women who would help her run better. And obviously, like, they are in competition with each other, but they become better runners for it. Everybody is winning. Everybody is going to the Olympics. And everybody has, uh, you know, like, they've leveled up their running career. And this is an example that I really, really like because, you know, it touches on a lot of things that I like.
1: I also love, okay, so... I don't I am you know I'm not a sports oriented person like that that is not my world <laughs> orientation but one thing I love about about sports examples that have to do with shine theory is that they are so concrete I mean like this is so perfect they showed up every day or I have to imagine it was nearly every day to train together as partners you know training partner and therefore all got closer to the goals that they had and so when we talk about mutual investment and actually putting in the time together as equals it's like literally they showed up at practice i mean this is not how it looks with all things in life but like thank you sports for being like so obvious yeah and your personal record is down you
0: actually see improvement on your goals you know what i mean like the goals are also really concrete and so
1: that's a really nice um this is a really nice illustration yes it's really good. Another example that we talk about a lot and really love comes from the Obama White House. Do you remember that, when Obama was president? What? <laughs> in this lifetime? Uh, um, anyway, there was a, a group of women who who worked in the Obama White House who were very much outnumbered at senior staff meetings. Not like any one of them was the one in the room, but they were outnumbered enough that they clearly could feel that they adopted the strategy that they called amplification. So like as talking again about concrete practices of shine theory and what they did, they told the Washington post essentially when one woman in the room made a point or said something, they other women in the room would say, oh, I love Amina's idea, like echo that and underscore the fact that A, that idea had been put forth and B, that it had come from a woman in the room because who has not had that experience of being one of very few women in a room and have try to make a point or say something only to have a man who's sitting nearby make the same point five minutes later and have everyone respond quite differently. Just and to this piggyback
0: is the, back on what Anne said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. I know they called it amplification because piggybacking is like too a horrible office jargon. Oh, um, uh. What I love about this is it takes this really concrete problem where you could have a scenario in which women are fighting to kind of like exclusively own credit of an idea. I mean, I don't think that anyone's White House environment is anything less than like cutthroat. I can't even imagine the office politics in like the Oval Office. You haven't Um, watched
0: the West Wing? What? (laughs)
1: I mean, I, I can't... Listen, I'm not giving Aaron Sorkin credit. And like, I'm trolling credit. you. I am 100% uh, trolling you
0: and you fell for it.
1: <laughs> I... You do not want to hear my rant about Donna again. So I'm just going to like set it aside. <laughs> Um, but, but what I love about this is like concrete problem, women not getting credit for their ideas, concrete solution that came from a cohort of women. And, you know, this, this expectation that it is not just like, oh, that one time I said, did everyone hear Amina just piggybacking, but like literally as a practice, as an ongoing way of addressing a kind of way that injustice plays out in an ongoing way as well. Like brilliant, brilliant, brilliant use of the solidarity born of shine theory.
0: Another example that we love comes from Congress, where um, Katie Hill, who is a rep from California, really, she knew that it was Ayanna Presley, who is the first black woman rep from Massachusetts, I believe. She really knew that it was Ayanna Pressley's, like dream, 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 dream to get the same Capitol Hill office that Charlie Shisholm had. And the way that you get an office in Congress is that it's some sort of lottery system for the freshmen, Katie Hill was like, had a higher number in the lottery, which meant that she would get called first. This is just like the NBA draft, but for
1: offices. Can you believe it? Would watch it live. I would watch this live on C SPAN.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Anne. You don't give C SPAN monetization ideas. <laughs> I mean, or maybe do give it to them. They need them. <laughs> Katie Hill gave up her spot so Ayanna Presley would get the office that she wanted. Shirley Chisholm. So obviously it has like huge historical importance for Ayanna Presley, And it also has like a personal significance. And I love that Katie Hill gave up her spot for her. Like that was actually like sacrifice. I'm sure that offices in Congress are not that lit or exciting. But the note that she tweeted at her was like very cute. She was like, no doubt you're going to do amazing things from that office. I am excited to serve with you. And I think that, you know, part of shine theory, like it does involve like giving up your spot for other people sometimes or, you know, sacrificing things. So for the for the larger good or for the, you know, for the greater story of the cohort. And I just, I really, really, really like this example.
1: I think what I love about that too is it is not, yes, it is a work context, but like really that's not what it's about. You know what I mean? Like what office you sit in, that's a personal significance issue. And so she's not just looking out for, wanting to help ayanna presley like do her job better she's like oh i know that this is personally meaningful to you and i want to help you get something that's personally meaningful to you and like that's another reason i love that example It it looks on its face like work but really it's more about personal support and solidarity
0: ah personal support and solidarity what what can't you do without it
1: okay here is another great example i think that Another manifestation of shine theory is like what we always call skin in the game, like the idea of extending yourself or using the privilege and power that you have to benefit other people in your cohort or people that you're practicing shine theory with. So, first example is another sports one, the Williams sisters, who we love, who are obviously at the tippy-tippy top of their game, who are like winning all of that prize money and therefore like, you know, directly invested in Women's prize money being equal to men's at all of these major competitions that they are slaying, right? but i think what's noteworthy about them is that they are also advocating like for across the board increases in the way women are compensated in their sport and they are being transparent about the fact that they're not just grateful hey i love that i won or like hey i wish i got paid more for this but like even in areas where they are not winning or like you know at times when they are not directly in competition they are advocates for like a fair dollar amount which extends to People who are their little, literal competition as well, right? Like they understand Mm -hmm. that their success is not just like their success. They're going to take the prize money and run. They're like, we want to leave a better legacy and we want things to be better for people who are in this world with us across the board.
0: I love that. Love the Williams sisters forever and ever and ever. So, what are things that like Shine Theory is not, Anne?
1: It is not networking. You don't just like meet someone in a sad hotel lobby with like, You know, a like plastic glass of Pinot Grigio in your hand, and go like, "Oh yeah, Shine Theory, cool." And then like go your separate ways, put their like business card in your pocket, or like take their email address and never speak to them again. Like that is really, (laughs) or or like cold email them five years later and ask for something. Like that is not Shine Theory. Just trying to kind of like add to a Rolodex of people who you think might be generally feminist or something. Like not Shine Theory. Um, That's a big one. And this
0: is. Thank you for making that point, because this is seriously why fempowerment is just, like, weaponized.
1: What is fempowerment? Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: Basically, there's a reason that we're not running, like, uh, shine theory conferences that you could come to, you know, or (laughs) that we're not on the speaker. True. And it's not to say that, like, we haven't had those opportunities. Like, we're not on the the speaker circuit, like, going to every big bad corporation saying, like, here's how shine theory can help you recruit more women in your business. And here's how it can. There are, like, clear reasons that this doesn't work. Shine theory is antithetical to, like, bullshit fanpowerment. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the mutual investment and to the trust and to, the, and to building a cohort. And you can't do that if you are doing it in service of like bullshit, like nine to five job capitalism. Like it's just not going to happen. It is about leaving a legacy. It is about like pushing against like bigger systems of oppression. And it really is about being in solidarity with people. And so it just does not work. So shine theory is not... It's not a conference where you learn how to be a, a, how to like do shine theory.
1: <laughs> I also think that it's important to say that shine theory is not this kind of like feelings purity and I'll explain what I mean. It's like if you subscribe to shine theory, like you and I we practice shine theory with each other all the time, that doesn't mean I never feel any level of jealousy or envy or like, I never feel bad about my own work or about my own life. Like feelings are feelings and you're going to have them. And like, just because you are feeling some kind of way about yourself or about someone who, um, who is a friend or someone in your cohort, like that doesn't, that doesn't run counter to shine theory. I think Um, feelings are going to happen. What does run counter to shine theory is if you let those feelings become a driving force for your action. So it's like the difference between I feel jealous and I'm going to have an honest conversation about what that means for what I want for my career or I feel jealous and I'm going to like take a beat and consider where that's really coming from versus I feel jealous and I'm going to try to undermine or maybe isolate myself from this person that I feel jealous of, right? Like it's, it's this kind of gap between, this is why we talk about practicing shine theory. You can have, you can feel all kinds of way about the world. The world is terrible and hard and difficult. Feel your feelings. But like how you act on those feelings, um, like shine theory is a way to kind of think about reacting to those things in a way that is productive and like frankly healthier if you are trying to build relationships, especially with other women. Mm-hmm. All right. What else is it not? Shine theory is definitely not if you are somebody
0: who works in a corporation, specifically at a tech company, asking other women to work for free in the service of like doing something for women, i.e., you know, like Valentine's Day or Women's History Month or whatever. Like that is not shine theory.
1: Whoa, you mean when I ask you to do my diversity work for me? That's not shy. Yeah, very when <laughs> you ask people to do
0: your diversity work for you or if you work at a company that you know like has a lot of money and you just ask people to do things for free, you should really ask yourself why it's okay that you're printing money in the basement, but when it comes to things like diversity and inclusion, your company is not willing to pay for them and how you are complicit in that.
1: Yeah, and I think that that answering a question like that, you can really lean on the is this mutual, right? Like, you know, for me, it's like if I have done a lot of professional favors for someone or like we are actually close and we understand the dynamics of each other's careers, I don't feel bad about asking them to like look over something I've written or like connect me to someone else, like because I've already made an investment in them and vice versa, you know what I mean? Like, like I think that yep. those asks mean something different if you are really in a mutual relationship and, um, and where you have to be careful is like calling it shine theory if it's not truly mutual investment. Um, what about disagreements, particularly between women? Does that mean you're not practicing shine theory if you disagree? No, disagreeing is like very good and
0: healthy. You know I love disagreement.
1: I know. <laughs> I mean, that was a softball. <laughs> that was
0: a softball. I know. You're, it's a troll, Anne. You're trolling me. Listen, you hit um, me with
1: the West Wing. I give you the, is it okay to disagree, like, lob.
0: <laughs> it's totally okay to disagree. I think that it really depends also what the disagreement is about, right? It's like somebody not giving you what you want. mm, I would say most of the time that's not a disagreement. (laughs) (laughs) That's dissatisfaction. (laughs) Right. It's also good, I think, to remember that, you know, just because we're ladies doesn't mean that we have to be fragile. And that actually, like, one of the ways that we sharpen each other and that we teach each other things is by – it's not in those moments that we have similarities. It's like where the differences come in. Like, the differences are what make you sharper. And so I think that it's always really important to listen to that. And it's also, like, good not to be, like, a, not to be, like, a snowflake. Wow. <laughs> Having a strong backbone is the only thing that is going to get
1: you through life, like, unscathed.
0: So, you know, get into it. Like, it's good for you. It's a good kind of vitamin. I support this.
1: Yeah, and I think that goes hand in hand with honesty, right? Like so you brought up trust earlier. You really cannot practice shine theory with someone who you don't have trust with. And if you're not being honest with each other, how do you trust each other? And honestly, if you never disagree about anything, you're not being honest with each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really I feel like we can just like trace the line back out and say like right. like it is okay. And I think again like some of that is just what you do with it, right? Like if you can Acknowledge that you're having a disagreement or that you're having some like less than posy feelings about your relationship or about how a certain interaction happened, then you can talk about it and like reaffirm your commitment to actually practicing shine theory or like things like trusting each other. Whereas if you sort of ignore that it's happening and do like a slow Homer fade into the bushes, there is no opportunity for that. Yep. <laughs> no disagreement about that. No, no disagree. No disagreement. Do you feel like the way you practice shine theory has changed for you now that you're like deeper in your career? Does it look and feel different than it did when you were first starting out?
0: You know, in some ways it's it's the same, like the mechanisms are the same where I and I really love like early on that. You know, there were just like some things that I knew I always had to do. Like one of them was always if I turned a job down, like always recommending somebody else that I knew for it that would be good at it, you know, and and things like that. I think that the thing that has changed is that one, I just feel more confident generally. I'm just like, okay, like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) In the beginning, it was a lot of like, we're going to take over the world. What are we doing? (laughs) You know, And I think in the beginning, it was a lot of like psyching each other up. And then with a lot of wins, like, and a time, honestly, just comes more confidence. A thing that has changed is that I definitely feel, I don't feel as helpless as I used to. And that's also just true. I'm like, I have acquired like a minimally small amount of power since then. So like, that's fair. But I think that I just have bigger goals now, too. So that's the new challenge. And I think about scale a lot more than I used to. So I think like the answer is yes and no. It just depends.
1: What about you? I think it's changed for me a lot, which is one reason why I asked you that. And I think I really relate to what you're saying about sort of as you gain power and confidence, the ways that you practice shine theory and lean on people in your life have evolved. I definitely felt a lot more I would say totally unproductive jealousy in like very early on in my career when the gap between what I felt I was capable of and what I had been actually given the opportunity to do was much, much wider than it is now. And not that I was ever like staying up well into the night grinding my teeth with jealousy, but like, you know, like like I, I definitely do not experience that feeling anymore. Like I have I have aged into the kind of like everyone's in their own lane doing their own thing. And if I'm jealous, I feel a feeling of jealousy. It usually means that I just need to like shift my lane or a part of what i'm doing closer to what that person is doing like i don't see it as like they got a thing that i can't have now like i have a healthier view of that mm-hmm. but i also think that the kind of dilemmas i have related to it have to do with i don't want to say that my the network of people i practice shine theory with is fixed like no ins no outs but like as Time has gone on, there are only so many Beyonce or normal hours in a day, and only so much time and space I have for people. And a lot of, you know, like I've been working now long enough that I like a like a beautiful snowball rolling down the hill have picked up lots of people that I practice shine theory with. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're really thinking about the mutuality question of like how am I, how am I being like a true shine theory partner with those people it's like there's just less space to meet someone new and add them to that group in a way that feels meaningful and so I think that that is like like a little bit of a of a struggle. I mean I think it's sort of an inverse relationship with power like when i I had very little power, I had a lot of feelings related to that, and now that I have more power you know professionally and in my life in other ways, like thinking about um, how I use it and in service of what and is a different kind of challenge. I will say that like the the feeling and I don't know if you've experienced this too like as I get more kind of secure and stable I guess in my life and in myself and in my career feeling like I can really Make a meaningful positive difference in the lives of people I practice shine theory with. Like, oh, like you have a book out. I can like you can come on the podcast and talk about it, or like we can strategize together, like what you want to write to support it, like things like that. That like you know, using the skill set and like the platforms that like I have now feels really, really good. Like I love that, and I love being able to ask people who now have super deep expertise and all these different things to help me out when I when I need it because like that's just great. Like the long-term rewards of shine theory and kind of like coming up together is like, I can't, I can't wait to see what that feels like in another 30 years because it feels very good now. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) You don't feel good. boo boo. You don't feel good.
0: Ah! (laughs) (laughs) No, listen, I really agree with that. And I think that that's kind of what the beauty of the cohort is, right? Is that you start off somewhere. And a thing that I have really enjoyed is just like, watching the people that are in you know that are in my own cohort like just like watch them become more confident watch them become deep experts in a thing watch them become like really good at something because I remember when the fear was that they would never get there right and it's like oh it actually didn't even take that long to get here there's still endless road to explore and you've already hit like such high milestones that is a really really good feeling
1: I agree, and again, like this is why we say like mutual long term investment. It's like we are not cashing in these in, or cashing out these investments yet. Like we are just watching them rise. <laughs> I love that,
0: right? You know, and I think that the other thing too that's really good about that is listening to you say that you know you're happy that you have a platform where you can like host your um you know your friends who are experts or whatever. The inverse of that is also true. Is I was like, well, damn, you know, like I'm working on things and I'm so happy that my pals have like have have figured it out now you know like they also have platforms to offer me and they will sit down with me and help me figure out like what is the best way to to make something that i'm doing make it even better and it's just like that's the part of the give and take that is like really really cool wow i've now said cool twice today who am i
1: who are you i this is like this is a post-vacation you just like using the word i just i
0: just just sound like an old dad you know i'm just like oh isn't it so cool all your little friends (laughs) isn't shine Shine theory cool (laughs) that's how i feel oh stop it it's also just like always a reminder to me that being young is just a foolish game because these are the parts of like getting older and watching time pass that are, it's just like very, very rewarding. We're like, okay, cool. Like I remember, cool. I said it again. I remember a time, Anne, where we used to sit around and we were like plotting what we wanted to do or, you know, had these like goals that seemed so big then and now we've like lapped them 10 times over and... That feels amazing to me that we watched each other do that.
1: I feel really, I feel very emotional when you say it like that. Like I can picture the exact dirty couch where we've, we had these conversations Exactly, <laughs> like dirty
0: couch, no bra, like dropping hummus on everything, you know, like <laughs> not being invited to a thing or just like living our boring lives, you know, not to say that my life is, it's <laughs> exciting now, but just like, you know, that feeling of like, you really want something, you just really want it. And, You don't know if you're ever going to get there. And it sounds so foolish to like think that when you're 25 and it's like, well, welcome. Now you're there and you have now you have different problems. And also on a happy note, you you have like bigger challenges to get to. And so
1: it just feels less impossible. It also feels less impossible when you do it with people by your side. 100 percent I also different problems a memoir I would read about just all the problems in different stages of life (laughs) oh my gosh don't you think this I think
0: about this all the time like I remember I remember a time where I wanted kind of the life that I have now and truly it felt like like you could have told me that I I would meet a Martian first and I would have believed that more and then now that I'm here I'm very aware that there are just times that I am not grateful enough you know, and I don't have enough compassion for myself and I'm not, um, I just, you know, like you just forget. You like grind so hard and then you get to a level and then you're like, ah, like there's the next thing that I want. And you don't take a moment a moment to pause and be like, damn, I did that. <laughs> I like actually did that. And because I did that, it means that I will probably do the other thing too. And it just, I don't know. I just, that's my problem. I never take enough time to be thankful and to really reflect and to have a little bit of compassion for baby Amina. So I'm trying to do that more.
1: But what's also funny in hearing you say that is like, yeah, like I knew you in the era when you thought that this wasn't possible. And not that I wasn't, um, you know, compassionate toward your feelings about how far away it seemed, but I was like, oh yeah, obviously you'll get there. Like like this is my 100% not surprised face where I was, <laughs> I was more shocked like in you know, you know, 10 years ago when it was like people were looking past you at parties or whatever, just being like, who are these total dum-dums? Like, why are they not like... Losers and total exactly. losers. Exactly. I guess what I'm trying to say is I have always been like Team Amina's Best Life TM like since day one. <laughs> and so therefore I am like very happy to hear you say that. But also I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah. I knew this was going to happen. Uh-huh. You know, like I don't really feel the same level of like shock at it. And like, that's like, the, that is, I think something that um i don't know beautiful shine theory moment of just like i i always knew you would get here
0: listen but this is why i think it's so important to do this journey with people because those people are your witnesses when you don't remember those are the people that will remind you so thank you for reminding me
1: always here to remind you forever and ever we made it
0: <laughs> we made it to a middling podcast Yeah. I thought you were going to start singing
1: <laughs> looks like we made it um <laughs>
0: listen you know that's in my heart i know it's
1: in your heart i'm like the country the country ballad for this moment is what's in your heart um the yeehaw the yeehaw has not jumped out today it didn't jump out but i know it's in there like that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: go to shy theory.com if you need any more information uh and i'll see you on the internet boo boo see you on the internet um our book best friendship
1: or big friend <laughs> our book bestie friendship just kidding <laughs> <laughs> bestie friendship vibes um we are the worst to, marketers like i know bestie
0: friendship vibes how to stay closer and closer to each other oh, winky
1: face okay um <laughs> stiletto on the book cover i love you dancing so much. woman emoji
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> a baby in the briefcase love you
1: <laughs> see you on the internet
0: You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. Call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books, but we are really partial to independent bookstores. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Canisius Need. Our producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is executive produced by Gina Delvac.